0: Anybody wants more light on? Would somebody? Tr- you guys want more light? If you don't need it, it's okay. But if you'd like it, you can turn it on. There seems like everybody's alright. He's a desk right there. I didn't even know what that was. The first second I was like, oh, that's a person. <laughs> What's going on here? That's cool. All right. Matthew chapter 8. So we're going to look at verses 1 through 17 today, and the message is titled, Jesus' authority over sickness. Let me ask you today, have you ever experienced a situation that was seemingly impossible? Anybody ever experienced one of those situations? Have you been through one in your life, a seemingly impossible situation? Now, if you're old enough, you have. I'm sure everybody's going to if they haven't. That's what this message is really going gonna, gonna to minister to you today. If you're, maybe you're in one right now. Maybe you're in a situation that seems impossible. I think you're going to find strong uh, encouragement from the word here today. Just to give you a little bit of context, we're in the Gospel of Matthew, and the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus Christ was 30 years about before Matthew was written. Jesus of Nazareth was put to death at the hands of the Romans because of false charges From the Jewish religious establishment. He claimed to be the son of God, Israel's long-awaited Messiah. The religious rulers, though, they would have none of this. They called him a blasphemer, uh, the leaders of the Jews. Uh, And so what they did was they turned him over to the Romans on some false charges, and they had him put to death. And so the Jews, you know, Jesus was a Jew, right? And Jesus made these tremendous claims, I'm the son of God, I'm the Messiah. You know, people will say, Jesus never claimed to be God. He, in fact, claimed to be God, and that's why they killed him. That's why they wanted nothing to do with him, is because of his claims. And 30 years after, you know, the cross, after the crucifixion, resurrection, Matthew's written, and the purpose of Matthew's writing is to tell the Jews, is to prove to the Jews that Jesus is, in fact, the Messiah. He's the one that we'd all been waiting for. Um, you know, who says Jesus, you know, is, is the Son of God? Matthew would say, well, let me prove it to you. And that's why he wrote the Gospel of Matthew. You could sum up the Gospel of Matthew with one word if you like that. Some people just like to make it simple. I like to make it simple. And that word would be proof, right? It's proof to a Jewish audience that Jesus is, in fact, the Son of God. In chapters 1 and 2, Jesus is authenticated, Uh, by the record of his origins, right? The genealogy in chapters three and four, Jesus is authenticated by word and deed. He was baptized by John the Baptist. You remember, and then he was tempted in the wilderness. Jesus was authenticated by word and deed in chapters three and four. And then in chapters five through seven, Jesus was authenticated By his teaching. Remember, he gives the Sermon on the Mount, and at the end of it, chapter 7, verse 29, it says that he didn't teach like the scribes. He taught as one that had what? Authority. Man, you guys. All right. It's been a while since we had a Bible study, but I can see that you're still firing and you're still thinking and processing through these things. That's good. So in chapters 8 and 9, now Jesus Is authenticated. Matthew uh, presents proof that Jesus is the Son of God through a series of miracles, right? It's really interesting. There's through chapter eight and nine, there's a bunch of miracles. And then in between, there are sections about discipleship and like what it means to be a true follower of Jesus Christ. It's kind of an interesting section. Now, so we're going to look within the next two weeks, we'll finish chapter eight, Lord willing. But today, we're just going to look at verses one through 17. All through chapter 8 and through chapter 9, we see Jesus' authority. Like, he just has authority and power over all things, right? And in chapter one, uh, or chapter 8, verses 1 through 17, we see Jesus has authority over sickness. Uh, in the next message, we'll see he has authority over people, that he has authority over the elements, over weather, and that he has authority over uh, demonic possession and de- the demonic realm. Actually, in this passage today, even though I've said it's just Uh, about sickness. There's one little section that has to do with demonic possession in it, but we'll deal with it more uh, in the next message. So that's where we're going today. Jesus' authority over sickness. The outline is very simple. Number one through uh, verse one through four, a leper is cleansed. Verse five through 13, a servant is healed. Verse 14 through 17, many are healed. This is really good because we all face impossible situations And what I really think it does, what it does for me, is this encourages me to take impossible situations to Jesus. That's what I get from uh, reading this passage. Number one, Jesus' authority over sickness, and then a leper cleansed. Verses one and two. When he had come down from the mountain, great multitudes followed him, and behold, a leper came and worshipped him, saying, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. (sighs) Before we go on, Heavenly Father, would you bless the word here today? Would you bless the message? God, through the words of a man, through the foolishness of man preaching, would you speak supernaturally to us, Father? Everybody in this room, Lord, needs a word from you. And so God, have mercy upon us and speak to us spiritually. We ask it in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. When he's coming down from the mountain, so he was giving the Sermon on the Mount, which was really the Sermon on a Big Hill, next to the Sea of Galilee, and he's coming down after that, and great multitudes are following him. A lot of people drawn to the teaching of Jesus. That's an exciting thing when people are drawn to the teaching of Jesus. Sometimes when they're drawn to the miracles, you know, they they stick around for a little bit, and then they kind of fade out. But it's interesting when people are drawn to the teaching of Jesus. I think that's a pretty cool thing. And behold, a leper came and worshipped him. Now, you might be thinking, how in the world does a leopard worship? It's not a leopard, right? This is we're talking about a leper. And so that was a bad joke. <laughs> I can tell when she's smiling at it. Like I, if Molly's smiling at it, I know it was a bad joke. <laughs> she got dry humor too. All right. So uh, this leper, he comes. And if I say leopard on accident a bunch of times, just don't correct me. Don't get stuck on it. You know, just keep going with it. You know, just I'll I'll get it figured out. <laughs> He's coming down the mountain, and a leper comes and he worships him. Now, this is a man with leprosy, and he approaches Jesus and he worships. He bows down before him. He bows down. He, he prostrates himself before him. Now, what is leprosy? It's a disfiguring skin condition. That it's a part of the, it's a nervous disorder. Um, you go numb everywhere. Essentially, it's a terrible head to foot. Uh, disease that causes sores, rotting flesh, uh, no known cure for it, eventually it's going to kill you. This man had received a terminal diagnosis. In the Old Testament, in the book of Leviticus, uh, chapters 13 and 14, lepers were declared to be unclean, ceremonially unclean. Now, what does that mean? This meant that lepers, if someone had leprosy, they were totally and permanently ostracized from the community and from worship. They couldn't go in the temple. They couldn't go around anybody. They had to be alone, right? Um, quarantine. You're like, hey, that sounds familiar. I know about that. A little bit more extreme, though. Let me read Leviticus chapter 13, verse 45 and 46. Listen to this. This is in the law, in the law of Moses, the first five books of the Bible. Now, the leper on whom the sore is, his clothes shall be torn and his head bare, and he shall cover his mustache and cry, unclean, unclean. He shall be unclean. And all the days he has the sore, he shall be unclean. He is unclean and he shall dwell alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. So can you imagine this? Have you ever felt, maybe, maybe you can kind of relate with this guy in a way he is ostracized. He's pushed out. He doesn't fit in with anybody. In fact, he can't fit in with anybody. The law of Moses says that he needs to be separate completely of everything. This guy could have had a family, you know what I mean? Maybe, you know, this is a bad situation. He's lonely. He's by himself. He's outside the camp. You know what makes it even worse is the rabbis and a lot of the people typically associated leprosy with sin, right? Like this was the common sort of you know, thought process was like, you know, if you're, if you've got some terrible disease, it must mean that you've sinned and you're under God's judgment. And so that makes things even worse, right? So there's the shame of that. And he had to go everywhere he had to go. He had to yell unclean, right? Can you imagine that? Can you imagine if you've got some sort of disease, some, some sort of illness going on, and every time you want to go anywhere, you have to, you know, uh, the rabbis say when you would come in within 150 feet of somebody, you had to start yelling, Unclean, unclean. So everybody would, oh, you know, and like, oh, you must be a rotten, terrible sinner, of course. So if you had leprosy in this day, you were literally rotting away alone, isolated, ashamed, you were despised, you were avoided, you were hopeless, you were untouchable, unapproachable, unable to go to church. It was a dreadful, darkening existence. Now, with that to be said, you can almost hear the sound of this man's voice. Look what he says there. He says, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. This would have taken a lot of courage to come up to a rabbi with a whole great multitude of people, and you're not supposed to be around anybody, and let alone a rabbi, let alone this teacher. And he comes up to me and says, Lord, if you're willing, You can make me clean. I want you to notice three things in that statement. That's a very significant statement. And by the way, we're going to come around to it at the end, and we're going to talk about that statement for a little bit because God heavily has impressed this statement on me today. I think he has a word for us um, through that statement. But I want you to notice three things for now that are in there. First of all, he recognizes Jesus' lordship. Number one, Lord, if you are willing. Now, the second thing I want you to notice he doesn't doubt Jesus' ability, does he? He says, if you're willing, you can do this, right? He doesn't doubt for a second that Jesus could heal him, he doesn't doubt it. That's the second thing. The third thing, he does wonder about Jesus' willingness to heal him, doesn't he? Understandable, considering if you're a leper, you would wonder, you know, nobody really wants anything to do with me. I wonder if Jesus wants anything to do with me. Have you ever felt like that, by the way? You know, I'm pretty bad. I wonder if Jesus wants anything to do with me. Understand this man is dealing with a massive burden up until this point, and he's All these things, lonely, separated, damaged beyond repair, as far as he knows, untouchable, a lost cause. And then verse 3. Then Jesus put out his hand and touched him. And he says, I am willing be cleansed. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. Instantly his condition disappears. This thing that's been causing all this problem in his life, you know, gone in an instant. Can you imagine the thing that's been keeping you isolated, untouchable, all these things gone just like that? I can't even imagine. I tried to sit here for a while and imagine what will go through this guy's head. How many things in his life have changed in that moment, right? Just in that moment, you couldn't even comprehend it all at once. You know, I don't have to yell unclean, unclean everywhere I go anymore. I don't have to tell people if I've been vaccinated or not. No, I'm just kidding. You know, Jesus heals in many ways. Have you read the Gospels? You understand Jesus heals in all kinds of different ways. He didn't have to touch him, did he? You think about that? Jesus chose to touch this man. It doesn't say, but I, you wonder how long it's been since anybody's touched him. Right? How, he hasn't had a hug in the longest time. Nobody's even made any kind of physical contact with him whatsoever. But Jesus chooses to heal him in this way. He chooses to touch him. The many years of no human contact are over right then. That would have been interesting. You wonder if the people just gasped, right? Because of the, you know, oh my gosh, he's going to touch him. And then the second he touches him, they'd be like, Jesus, you're unclean now. You're unclean. W- wait a minute. Where'd the leprosy go? <laughs> you know? Okay, so is he unclean? Or, no, I guess he's not. I don't know. With a compassionate, loving touch from Jesus, all the impurity flies away Jesus Christ has authority over sickness This is this is something good for you to stop and think about today Jesus Christ has authority over sickness He wants to touch you And he can touch you He wants you to draw near to him He wants you to be This is there's a good lesson this guy even though he had all kinds of things that were in his mind and in the law and everything keeping him from coming to Christ, keeping him from coming to God. You know, he was, he was kicked out. All the shame, all the guilt, every single thing. All of those things. This guy got up enough courage to come to Jesus and, and recognize, you can do anything, God. It's not a matter of whether you can do it or not. It's are you willing to do it? And he appealed to him like that. Lord, you're the Lord of my life. I'll worship you. I understand who you are. You're Lord. I recognize you. I recognize your authority. If you're willing, you can make me clean. And he did. And Jesus chose to do that. And he chose to do it in a way that was just so personal that he didn't have to do Jesus just going across the cultural norms and touching this man. Now look what he says, verse 4. He goes, see that you don't tell anybody, but go your way and show yourself to the priest and offer the gift that Moses commanded as a testimony to them. So don't go tell anybody about this, but take the gift to to the priest that Moses wrote about in the book of Leviticus. Okay, in the book of Leviticus, there's a section that's written, if you are cleansed as a leper, what you're supposed to do is you're supposed to take a, a list of things to the priest, and he does this beautiful ritual with two birds and then pronounces you clean, and then you come back into the society after that, right? Now, get this. That was written thousands of years before this incident. Now, get this. There's so many things to get. There's no record, according to scholars, of one person in the history of Israel that was cured from leprosy. Why would God, in the book of Leviticus, put a ritual... For the cleansing of a leper, if there was no cure for leprosy. Does anybody put this together? It's for this day. For this right here. So Jesus, what he's doing is he's essentially giving his calling card. He's saying, go to the priest, go show him what's done, and then look, it'll be a testimony. To them, and it certainly was a testimony. It's like Jesus is going and saying, "Go and show the religious establishment that the Messiah is here," because the Book of Isaiah and a bunch of other prophecies say the lepers will be cleansed, right? And so Jesus is saying, "Go show yourself." These guys would have been doing a head scratcher, like, "Okay, go get that scroll of Leviticus. I don't even know how to do this thing. We've never done it before." They'd have been like, "Oh, wait a minute, this, this, you know," and they'd have figured it out. Oh my goodness, this guy's, and you know, and. They sh- Oh, man. The whole idea was they'd go in and investigate. How in the world did this happen? Where did this come from? But the religious establishment, they just continued to reject Jesus, right? They don't want anything to do with him. Because the guy that heals lepers threatens our position. And the Bible says they were all about money. And they were all about position. It made me think of something. I wish people would go and investigate the claims that people make in Jesus' name. There's nothing wrong with proving a miracle, right? Nothing wrong with that at all. People make some fantastic claims in the body of Christ, don't they? Don't you hear, oh, I was healed of this, I was healed of that, I was at this revival, and all these people were healed. Go get some proof of it, because what it does is it's a testimony to them. I wish people would investigate more. I don't know how many, I was thinking about this last week when my wife was, was that last week, testimony Sunday? You've got Rebecca standing up here. You've got my wife standing up here. And and we make these claims a lot of, I was delivered from anxiety. I was delivered and healed from depression, from addiction, right? And I wish people would go investigate these claims more because they would lead you to Jesus Christ. I'm amazed that more people don't. I'm amazed that people can stand and and sit and listen to somebody say, my life was completely healed. I was near suicidal. I was healed from all of this in Jesus' name. And that people don't go and say, how did that happen? How did that happen? You know? It's like they, I can't figure out why people don't do that more. I mean, I told my stepdad one time, you know, my stepdad says, why are you such a different person, man? I used to know you and, oh, you're just not the same person anymore. I said, Jesus Christ. And he goes, oh, yeah. You know, why don't you investigate the claim, bro? I mean, I'm telling you, I was blind and now I see. How? Jesus Christ. Well, how come nobody's interested in investigating that? Lord, lift the blinders off of people, right? Where they'd hear a testimony and, and then it would lead back to him. Is that, how were you, de, you delivered from depression? Well, what I started doing was I stopped being a Christian in name only and I started getting into the word. And into prayer, and into hanging out with other Christians, and I was delivered. <laughs> why don't you? Why don't you examine the claims? That's something that jumped out to me in this. Go show it to them. It's a testimony to them. First miracle: Jesus touches the leper, and he's cleansed. What a joyous! occasion. The centurion's need, the centurion's servant is healed. That's the next point of verses 5 through 13. Now, when Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him, pleading with him, saying, Lord, my servant is lying at home paralyzed, dreadfully tormented. Here's a little different situation. The centurion's fine, but he is tremendously concerned about somebody else. And maybe you've been there. Maybe you've been there where you find yourself, your health is okay, but somebody you're very concerned about their health isn't. And that's this guy's case here. Now a centurion, that's a pretty cool name, right? This is my buddy Corey. He's a centurion. <laughs> cool name. You recognize the word out of there, century, a hundred. So what a centurion was was the commander of over a hundred soldiers in the Roman army. So here you have a Gentile. This guy is not a Jew, and Uh, Jesus is crossing all kinds of boundaries. He's, He's touching lepers. He's healing Gentiles. The Jews hated the Gentiles by and large in this time. This is unheard of. A Jew reading this would be like, oh my gosh, this is uncomfortable. And he comes pleading with him. And he says, Lord, my servant is lying at home paralyzed. He's dreadfully tormented. In Luke's account, it adds that he was near death. So this guy is struggling. This guy has a loved one. Uh, that is struggling. Now, this guy was probably incredibly important to the centurion, this servant, because when you were a centurion, when you served the Roman army for 20 years, you had to give them service and you couldn't get married, right? So this servant is probably an integral part of the soldier's life, of the commander's life, and he cares about him. He's a man of compassion. That's all that's on his mind, most likely. This person that's so close to me, near death, dreadfully tormented. Notice also he recognizes Jesus as Lord there. Lord, my servant is lying at home paralyzed. For him to be calling Jesus Lord and to believe on Jesus is to essentially depart from his like pagan affiliation. You know what I mean? This is a risky thing for this guy in a sense. He's coming out of, you know, he's essentially declaring allegiance uh, to Jesus as Jew and he's, he's departing from, You know, I thought Caesar was Lord, right? This is a desperate situation, an impossible situation. He is doing okay, but his servant is about to die. He's desperate and worn out, and this person's on his mind constantly. Will he live? And Jesus said to him, verse 7, I'll come and heal him. Then the centurion answered, and he said, Lord, I'm not worthy that you should come under my roof, but only speak a word and my servant will be healed. For I also am a man under authority, having soldiers under me. I say to this one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. The centurion here, he recognizes that Jesus doesn't need to come to his house to do the healing because he recognizes authority. He understands how authority works. You see, the centurion, as he would go out and he would give orders, people would listen to him, like, or die, (laughs) right, was it because any authority that the centurion himself had? No. But it was because he was under the authority of Rome, right? And so even though the you know, Caesar's not there, his authority is at work, right? And so the centurion connects this in his mind with Jesus. He says, look, you have authority over everything. You have authority over sickness. And so you don't even need to be there. And he kind of does him the favor of saying, Jesus, you don't even need to come to my house because, like, Jesus would be defiled ceremonially, you know, if he went into a Gentile's house. And so he says, you don't even need to come to my house, Lord, because he knows that Jesus can speak a word and things can change. Healing can come into your life either through a touch, through a word, through a distant word. And this guy recognized it. I love Jesus' reaction to it. Verse 10, he goes, When Jesus heard it, he marveled and he said to all that followed, Assuredly, I say to you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. And I say to you that many will come from east and west and sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the sons of the kingdom will be cast out into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then Jesus said to the centurion, Go your way. And as you have believed, so let it be done for you. And the servant was healed that same hour. Now, he marvels about it, and he turns to the people following him, and he says, I've never seen faith this great in all of Israel. Let me, I'm going to reword that a little bit. It's not that I'm rewording what Jesus says, but he's saying, the people that should have great faith don't even have faith compared to this gentile have you ever met an unbeliever or a brand new believer that has so much faith they don't know everything about you know calvinism arminianism sovereignty free will of anything like that nothing like that and they'll just pray you know because you know they'll they believe you know they believe god can do anything And then you go into some Christian that's been a Christian for just like forever and and they'll tell you every reason why God won't do things. It's kind of like what he's saying in a way, right? I haven't seen faith this great even in this whole group of Israel, these people that should have faith. If anybody was to have faith, it should have been the Jews, right? Thousands of years of the word of God, a testimony like they have of our people being led through the wilderness. I mean, the Red Sea, the manna, the, the water from the rock, I mean, you'd think these people, If listen, if miracles made faith, these people should have had it, right? He says, I haven't even seen, uh, I haven't seen faith like this even in the people that should have it. Then he goes on and he says, um, verse 11, he's still talking about this Gentiles faith. He goes, many will come from east to west. He's referring to Gentiles. All kinds of people are going to come from all over. And they're going to sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Uh, the Greek idea was sit down is sit down and eat, right? So they're going to be at the banquet, right? And the, the biblical picture is of being in heaven with God is a banquet, right? We're all sitting together. And that's what Jesus is saying. I'm marveling at this Gentile's faith, but it's really no surprise because people are going to come from all around and they're all, we're all Gentiles, Greeks, men, women, uh, you know, everybody's going to eat together at the banquet, you know, that come through faith if they come through faith. And that's where the but in verse 12 comes in. But the sons of the kingdom, that's a term for Hebrews, for people that were the lineage of Abraham. Okay. But the sons of the kingdom will be cast into outer darkness. Now, this is another gasper right here. These people... They assumed these Hebrews. They assumed that they were going to heaven strictly because they were in the lineage of Abraham. They went to ancestry.com. They got the test back, and it said Abraham. And they're like, "That means I'm going to heaven. That's it. That's all. It's, it's all it's required." But Jesus says, "Hey, guess what? The people that rely on that, they're actually going to be cast into hell. Why? Because you have to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. You have to put personal faith and trust into Him." to get to heaven. You know, nobody can believe for you. You don't get to heaven just because your mom went, just because your grandma prayed for you a bunch. You don't get to heaven for those reasons. You have to have a personal relationship. And that's what he's saying there uh, in verse 12. And he says that these Hebrews, they're going to be sent to this place where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. That's a description of the suffering, and the gnashing of teeth is a description of the anger that will be in hell. People will be angry. They're angry at God now, and they're going to be angry at God then. That's what he's getting at. You see that terminology throughout the Bible a lot, weeping and gnashing of teeth. I always used to think of it as like tweakers, like grinding their teeth because they've been up like so many days in a row. <laughs> Only at Calvary Mason City, right? Do You get that kind of commentary. But it's anger. You're mad at God now, you're going to be mad at God then, right? And that's, it's going to be filled with those kind of people that wouldn't have this man to rule over us. That's what he's saying will happen to them. Then Jesus said to the centurion, go your way, and as you believe, so it'll be done for you. You know, can you imagine maybe the guy, uh, you know, isn't it tough to go your way and trust that Jesus' word is going to happen? Isn't that kind of tough? You know, it is in certain situations, but he knew that Jesus could heal from a distance, and so Jesus says, go your way, and as you believe, it'll be done for you. I want to point something out about healing right here, Okay because a lot of people try to make a pattern about healing and they try, to, you know, they try to figure out how this works. I don't know, a lot of us do. A lot of us try to figure out how it works. You know? I mean, I would think you would. If you're inquisitive, you want to know the Bible, you want to know how, how God does things. One thing I can figure out about miracles and healings is you can't figure out how it works. <laughs> you know, I mean, there's no pattern that Jesus seems to set forth. I will tell you one thing that's clearly wrong, When people say God only heals you if you have a lot of faith, that's clearly wrong because the centurion's the one that had the faith here. Not the guy, right? As far as we know, look, Jesus says that. Go your way as you have believed. Let it be done according to you. So you have to understand uh, that Jesus heals in a bunch of different ways. It's good to pause and realize that because a lot of us try to put a box over Jesus Christ, right? Imagine if this guy, you know, he says, oh, you don't need to come to my house, but imagine if he said, yeah, you do have to come to my house, and you have to do it this way, and you have to touch me just like you touched that leper guy. I heard about that thing. Now you, you have to touch me. Where, where was he sitting? Where did you touch him at, you know? And we start to put God in a box. We start to say, God's only going to do good things in my life if I'm a good boy, you know, or, or God's only going to, you know, or whatever it is. But you can't put God in a box, right? Maybe you're missing something that God wants to do in your life today because you're trying to put him in a box. I think that just jumps right out at us, doesn't it? The leper, the servant, now many healed. Verse 14 and 15, Peter's mother-in-law healed. Now, when Jesus had come into Peter's house, he saw his wife's mother laying sick with the fever. So he touched her hand and the fever left her. And she arose and served them. Now, Peter was married. Obviously, because here's his wife's mother. Peter's got his wife's mother-in-law living with him. Hey, it's like the Adams family. And she's laying sick with the fever. Now, most likely, scholars think she's probably had malaria. That's what it was commonly associated with. And the Greek word translated fever is like the strongest word that you can use for burning up. Like she was burning up in a hopeless situation. She's a shut-in and her uh, you know, her daughter and her son-in-law's house, and, you know, they're caring for her, and um, Jesus comes in, and he just touches her and heals her. I want to point out also, again, it doesn't say anything about her faith. Like, she didn't, presumably, she didn't even, we don't even know if she had faith or not. Jesus just came in, and out of compassion, he healed her. Now, there are those that are kind of down on miracles, and they will say things like, Jesus only did healings and miracles to validate the gospel. That's the only reason he did it. That's not the only reason Jesus did healings. Jesus did them because he loves people, you know, and because he has compassion on people. He also did things to draw attention, to validate the message. He did both of those things. It's a good thing to keep in mind that he did these because of love and compassion. And I like her reaction. She arose and served them. Now, I don't know about you, but the last time you had a fever of like 103, 105 maybe, would you be alive if you had a fever of 105? I think you could hack that. I don't know. When was the last time you got up and instantaneously felt like serving, you know, 20, 30, 40 people? You know, the body would be sort of worn out probably after this. That proves that this is just a miraculous, it's a miraculous thing. You know, it's not one of these things where, you know, somebody, you know, this is miraculous. Jesus changed this lady's life right there. Kind of two miracles. The fever left her and she woke up and served. Uh, I was reading this guy the other day. He said, Jesus never did anything selfishly. And this guy pointed to this and goes, yeah, he did. He healed her so she'd serve him. <laughs> like, he was joking. But I want to, that's actually funny that you bring that up, guy that I'm talking about. Because he didn't say, get up. I'll heal you if you will serve me. Isn't that interesting? How many people try to bribe Jesus? I'll tell you what, Jesus, I'll go to church every week if you will. Well, no, 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 you don't have to do that. Her response to Jesus' touch was, I want to serve. It reminds me of my wife, you know, giving her testimony. You know, she, she gets healed of depression, of sickness, of drug addiction all these things, and her response is she wants to serve. You can't keep her from serving. You give her the week off and she's trying to serve. You're like, you have to sit down. You can't, people that have received a touch from Jesus, you can't stop them from serving. You just can't. That's the natural response to somebody that's had an encounter with Christ. That's the way he has it too. You know, God came, for God so loved the world, he came and he did Salvation for you. What do you want to do in response? Verse 16, when evening had come, they brought to him many... Whoa, wait a minute. Evening? Okay, let me give you some perspective. The Sermon on the Mount was in the morning. Jesus has put it in a full day of ministry, right? (laughs) When when evening comes, they brought many to him who were demon-possessed. And he cast out the spirits with a word and he healed all who were sick that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet saying, he himself took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses. Demon possessed. These are people that through the, a lot of scholars say that there was so much demonic possession in this area because of the people's fascination and love of magic, right? The occult. Um, the equivalent today is like horoscopes, um, you know, mediums, intuitive readings, angel readings. That stuff's the occult, right? Drugs, um, all kinds of stuff floating around on YouTube, trying to initiate people, bring them into this demonic realm. You open up the door to Satan, and demons come and inhabit you. Right? It's a it's a big reality. If I had kids, I would be terrified of what they look at on tablets, man. I would be terrified. I don't. I'd be a terrible parent. My kid would have a straight jacket in a room, no tablet, no Wi-Fi. I'd put aluminum foil over the house. Nobody's gonna get a Wi-Fi signal in this place. No way. Goodness gravy. Demonic possession can cause um, you know anger. Can cause. Um, stuff that looks like, you know, seizures, stuff that all just all kinds of different stuff, violence, um, just a rebellious spirit, all kinds of different stuff, demonic possession. He's talking about people. And look, he brought many, they brought many to Jesus, many people possessed by the devil. And he spoke a word and the demons fled out of every one of them, right? Isn't that something that at the word of Jesus Christ, demons flee? That's just something. And he says that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet. Remember when I said Matthew's trying to prove that Jesus is the Son of God? That's what he's doing right here. He's saying Isaiah prophesied this. Isaiah said that he himself, talking about Jesus, took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses. And then it goes on to say in Isaiah chapter 53 that by his stripes we are healed. Now, all the healings that Jesus did, all the healings that he does, they all came to people and they all come to people through suffering. Right? That's a very important thing for us to understand here. Everything that Jesus has ever done for you, the salvation that he's given you, the deliverance that he's given you, in your life, it's all come through his suffering. Now, where he says by his stripes we are healed in the context of Isaiah, that passage is primarily dealing with spiritual healing and the forgiveness of sins, but it's also dealing with physical healing. When you take your last breath on this planet, you will be healed. Completely. That's something to look forward to about death, by the way. You think it's this terrible thing, you know, and it is terrible. The Bible says it's the last enemy to be defeated, but you know what? When you take your last breath, complete healing, 100%. Right? Everybody that's healed now in this temporal realm is eventually going to die and have to deal with the last enemy, which is death. And so when Isaiah says that by his stripes we are healed, There's a partial fulfillment of that now. There are healings happening. But ultimately, the great healing comes when death, you know, oh, death, where's your sting, right? And it's over, right? And all that comes through his suffering. It's a beautiful thing. That's a good thing to meditate on. Every good thing in my life that Jesus has done all come through his suffering. Three different situations here, right? This leper cleansed, the servant healed, and then these many healed. Jesus has absolute authority over all these different things. Now, I told you we wanted to come back to this statement. If you are willing, you can make me clean. I want to focus on this for a second, and I have went back and forth with the Lord about whether I want to say what I'm about to say or not. And he's I think that he's like, you need to say this because it's true. And even though, you know, it might not be a, it might not be popular. Um, but God, I just, I just want to please you, Lord. I just want to please you, um, even if it's not popular. He says, "If you are willing, you can make me clean." Okay. So th- I thought, I thought through this. Then we thought through this statement a lot, and it kind of gets you in this like sp- spiral of thinking. Okay. There's no doubt that God can do whatever, right? So what he's saying is it's a matter of being willing. Is that right? That's plain from the text. That means I have to grapple with the fact that he's not always willing, right? Now this is, I'm going to tell you, I'll connect this to us, okay, to Aaron and me. Aaron, Aaron loves kids. She can't have kids. She's about to have a hysterectomy, right, here in the middle of January. I've watched my wife battle this sort of thing with God. Why are you not willing to give me kids? I read every time. Can you imagine her devotion life? She reads through the Bible once a year. She's read through it like 13 times. And every time she gets to God opened her womb, God opened her womb, God opened her womb, right? Why, God? Why don't you? If you're willing, you could do this. Okay? Now, it's not a matter of his ability. He can do all things. It may not be his will to heal you in this life. Right? Now, I know if I, if I have some, there's, there's certain people that would just rebuke me in the name of Jesus for my lack of faith, right? Do you remember the Apostle Paul prayed that the thorn from his flesh would be removed? And God, was God willing to remove the thorn from his flesh? He wasn't. But what did he say instead? My what? My grace is sufficient for you. Right? I prayed three times, then I just determined God wasn't going to do it. And God said to Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. Right? God's not always willing to do what we want him to do. Now, is your healing guaranteed? Absolutely. I just talked about it. Your healing is guaranteed. It's absolutely guaranteed. People have heart conditions in here. People have daughters that are, you know, this is reality, okay? Their healing, your healing is guaranteed, just not on this side, right? Now, you may be internally rebuking me because of my lack of faith, but I want to put it to you like this. I think it's more of a mature faith to realize that, okay? It, it really is. The thorn in Paul's flesh caused Paul, shaped Paul's ministry. The difficulty that you're dealing with right now is shaping your life, right? It's There's nothing wrong with you why God's not taking this thorn in the flesh out of your life. That's the thing I just can't stand about that phony baloney preaching where it says if you don't have enough faith, well, if you've got enough faith, God will take everything out of your life and by his stripes we're healed. That's not what that means. You need to quit telling Christ. I don't know, think anybody here tells That's a terribly abusive thing to tell people. What is right is to look at the statement of this leper and say, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Now, friends, let me put it to you like this. I think that's a mature faith, to understand that God can absolutely do everything. And let nothing tarnish that in your life. Let nothing diminish the fact that God can do everything. And it's a matter of his authority. He's got all the authority. He can do whatever he wants. But it might not be a matter of his will, right? But, But get how good this is. To understand that, if I pray... God, give my wife kids. I want to have kids with her. And he does. Praise be the Lord. But if he doesn't, we can sit back now and say, you know what? Because of who he is, God's yes is essentially just as good as his no. Doesn't that make sense? Because praise be the Lord, he's got a plan. If he doesn't answer prayer the way that I want, it's not that he can't do it. It's that he has something else in mind. Because the Bible says clearly that all things work together for the good. For those that are called, that love the Lord, that are called to him, all things work together for the good. Even the difficulties in our life work together. So you have to to maintain that attitude. God, I know you can do all things. I don't doubt that for a minute. And I know it's not a matter of me whipping up so much faith to force your hand to do something. I know that's not it. That's childish. That's such a childish image of God thinking that like your faith can actually change. And, you know, how cruel that would be to say to my wife, oh, because you don't have enough faith. You can't, you can't have kids. Are you kidding me? My wife's got more faith than I will ever have. Paul had more faith than, I've heard people say, well, Paul just didn't know how to speak reality into existence. Are you kidding me? That's from the pit of hell, man. That's devil teaching. That makes prosperity preachers rich. Okay? I hate that stuff with a godly hatred. Right, But I just want to comfort you with the fact that today God's yes is just as good as his no. It really is. Because he's working all things together for his plan. He's working. God knows maybe my wife has, he's got something else for her. He's got something else for us. You know, you should take that and put that over all your prayer requests. You can... If you are willing, that's not a sign of weak faith. It's not a sign of weak faith to say, God, if it's in your will, you can do it and you will do it. That's not a a sign of weak faith at all. It's a sign of a mature faith. Remember what Job told his wife? He says, how can we receive good from the Lord and not bad? You know? how childish it is to say, "I'll, I'll follow you and worship you, God, if you do things the way I think you should. I mean, really? Come on. This helps me tremendously. If I pray something, I know he can do anything, but I also know that he might not be willing to answer in the way that I want him to. That crushes some people's faith, but it strengthens me, and it causes me to walk in faith. I can wake up every day, and I can say, you know what? This life is the one that God put me in, and this is the one that God is doing things through. He's doing good things. Our God does great things, right? And he's going to keep on doing great things. They just might not look. That's why I want, you know, who do I know? The, the smartest thing for me to do is just surrender to Him. God, I don't know where you're going to take me today. I don't know what you're going to do, but I know you and you're good. My heart can rest in that. Your heart can rest in that here today, too. God is 100% willing, listen carefully, He's 100% willing to always do, always do the best thing for you. That's so good. why don't you teach me about some patterns where I can start seeing abundance in my life (laughs) I just told you something even better. Give me the five secrets of wealth and health. This is something so much better. Goodness. Trying to calm down about this stuff. But it's a full-on onslaught against the goodness of God. He's so good. Imagine that guy's voice. Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Why well, I'm willing, be cleansed. Good news. He's willing. Every, your healing is, is definite. Definite. There's nothing that can stand in the way from you being fully healed, right? Maybe not in this life. Maybe so. That's so good. Ultimately, Lord, I just trust you, and I trust your authority. Maybe you've received a terminal diagnosis. Maybe you know somebody that has. Maybe you're concerned about somebody. Maybe maybe you've been shut in. Maybe you've been cut off. Maybe you feel untouchable. The Lord wants to touch you. If you'll just open your heart to him, we're going to have communion here together. And I want you to think of this today. And Kenny, you want to come up and help hand out the elements? Uh, Corey, would you, you want to help him too? We're going to remember the Lord here and what he did for us. And I want you to think of him as touching you. He came to be available to you. So, yeah, you guys can go ahead and come up and, and just, yeah, get it going. As we approach his table here today, this is symbolizing the God who came near, the God who really in the grand plan of everything is yes is just as no is as good as is no. It's all good because he's working all things together. Father, I pray for those that may need a touch from you today and if it's your will that you're going to heal them here today, Father, we ask that you would do that emotionally, spiritually, heal us from sin, heal us from the effects of sin. Father, I pray that your spirit do exactly what you would want to do, Lord. And we come to you and we don't doubt your ability in anything at all. I pray, Father, for anybody here that may have been suffering for a long time that has been sort of doubting your ability. Father, that you would restore their faith, that you would restore their complete trust in the fact that you can do everything, Lord. Father, I pray that you would cause us all to rejoice in the truth that our healing is guaranteed, and that it is on the way. It may not be in this life, I understand, Lord. My wife may not have kids in this life. I understand, Lord. But God, you're good either way. How can we receive good from you and not bad? Nonetheless, Lord, you're worthy of praise. We declare, Father, that your will is good. We love you, Lord Jesus. We rest our hands, our heart into your hands. Some of us are so weary wrestling with you, wrestling with ourselves, wrestling with impossible situations, God, that we just want to bring those here right now and just leave them at your feet. We ask in Jesus' name.